Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. In this episode's conversation, we explore the two-sided marketplace model in the on-demand economy. Mike Rosenbaum, CEO and founder of Spacer, joins us alongside Elkie Keeley and Noga Edelstein, co-founders of Urban New, together with Marty Newkirk, who manages Carnextdoor's national vehicle fleet. Access over ownership? A Florence Guild conversation with Mike Rosenbaum, Elkie Keeley, Noga Edelstein, and Marty Newkirk. Welcome to Florence Guild um, Hero Speaker Series. And this is our second to last uh, event before we close out the year. Um, today we will be discussing access over ownership, the two-sided marketplace and the on-demand economy is here to stay. The common thread that all of our panel companies share is the idea that consumers do not want ownership and businesses are leveraging off of that idea. Consumers want the convenience of driving a car, having household services performed and nearby storage at their fingertips. Please uh, let me introduce our panelists. Noga Edelstein and Elkie Keeley, they're the co-founders of Urban U. Mike Rosenbaum, the CEO and founder of Spacer, sorry, I did this out of order, Spacer Enterprises, and Marty is in the white shirt, Marty Newkirk, the fleet manager of Car Next Door. Um, would you all please introduce yourselves and maybe give uh, a little bit of a background, of your background, given that you're all coming from different walks of life? Yeah, uh, sure. Noga. Hi everyone, my name is Noga and I'm the co-founder of Urban U. So I've spent 15 years working in global technology and media companies like Foxtel, IBM, Yahoo, um, as well as top tier legal firms in Sydney and London. And one thing I noticed in common with people working at these places is they never had enough time to get stuff done around their house. So they'd take a day off work to let a tradesman in and invariably the tradesman wouldn't even show up. Um, when I met Elkie, we were both uh, working at Yahoo on the senior executive team there. We knew there had to be a better way to solve this problem. And we'd both been on teams responsible for building and delivering global technology products. Um, so we started to look at how we could use um, on-demand technology to deliver services in a much more efficient um, and economical way. So Urban U is the result, and it's a two-sided marketplace, a platform to deliver trusted, pre-screened household services in real time or on-demand. Terrific. And just, just finally, on that, just a bit about my background myself. I've got over 15 years in Marcoms, having worked with big global technology companies such as Apple, um, IBM, Nokia, and also uh, Microsoft. And yeah, bringing with a co-founder who's you know, got complementary skills, um, we've built this startup to basically to outsource our own chores, <laughs> pretty much. Marty? Um, so I'm Marty, and uh, my background is in operations and solar operations. and. Um, when a role came up at Carnegie Store uh, a couple of years ago, um, I thought, perfect, this was just a company that, that really um, sung out at me. And um, so I dove in there, but um, now I'm actually moving into a product manager role at Carnegie Store as the uh, tech side of things is, um, is really interesting to me as well. 
And did you want me to talk a bit about Carnic Store now, or just, just that, That'd be great if you wanted to describe sure. the business model. And yeah, sure. So um, Carnic Store, how many people have uh, heard of Carnic Store? I know Kat has. And how many of you have, have used us? Uh, just Kat? Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so we're a platform that allows people to um, rent out their cars when they're not using it themselves and make a bit of money from it. And, um, and also for people that don't have a car, like Kat, who I was speaking to earlier, um, which was really exciting to see that um, uh, you know, I'm meeting people around the place that, who actually don't need to buy a car um, because they've got access to, to cars like Car Next Door when they need to do occasional trips. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's basically uh, the platform. Okay. Mike? Um, hi, I'm Mike. Um, great to be with you guys today. Thanks, Cami, for having us. Thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, the last 15 years um, of, of my sort of um, career, I guess, if you can call that, was um, in e-commerce. Um, so I'm a, I'm a tech nerd, as you can probably see. Uh, not very fashion coordinated. Um, but uh, <laughs> spent um, yeah, the last 15 years of my life um, building up uh, Deals Direct. Um, and prior to that, one of the early commercial sellers on, on, on eBay, part of that sort of that time period. Um, and in the last sort of three years, I've moved across to the sharing economy, which I'm very passionate about. Um, I helped co-found the Sharing Hub, um, which is um, an accelerator for the sharing economy here in Australia. We have over 30 um, sharing economy businesses um, in our group, um, of which these guys are all members. Um, we share insights and learnings. Um, we, we hold events, um, meetups, things like that. Um, and Spacer is, is, is my new baby. Um, two years old, uh, a bit of a naughty toddler, but um, you know, g- growing very quickly, um, and um, we, we we sort of dub ourselves the the marketplace for space, um, and essentially we we help people monetize um, their spare space in and around their homes. Um, so typically that's a, a garage um, for, for storage or a car space for for parking. Um, so um, that's, that's a bit about me. Great. Um, I've prepared some questions, but of course we always like to have a conversation, so please jump in, ask questions um, whenever you'd like. Uh, so I'll start with Urban U. Uh, you all have, all the companies have a lot of things on the horizon that are uh, really percolating right now. And um, given you've just purchased uh, Home Hello, yep. um, could you talk about the acquisition and how it was entering into the Brisbane marketplace? <coughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, um, look, Urban U, we've been around uh, since 2014 now and we've been growing really fast. We've raised $2 million in um, venture capital. And, um, you know, in the marketplaces, it's really a winner takes all, um, especially in the sharing economy um, where we're working on fairly tight margins. Um, what you see is the more successful companies eventually start to dominate um, and start to consolidate and acquire. Um, some of the sort of more niche players. Mm. So we were very conscious from the start that Urban U was a multi-service offering. So I'll just tell a bit, about, bit more about what Urban U does and how we sort of differentiate from some of the other um, services you may have heard of. So um, what sets us apart is three key elements to our model. So first is a curated marketplace. So we've screened and interviewed everyone on the platform. So all the cleaners and gardeners that provide services through our platform have to have police checks. Um, they have insurance and they get rated after every service and only those with the highest ratings remain on the platform. So we know um, that the person that's going to turn up to your house is going to be reliable, they're going to turn up on time, they're going to do a great job. We've standardised pricing across all of the services. So 
um, suppliers all receive a standard rate and consumers are all charged a standard rate. So there's transparency in the platform. Um, and then what we've done is we've brought the whole transaction online. So we take care of the entire process from discovery and pricing through to scheduling and payments. So you don't need to spend hours online reading Google reviews to choose a cleaner. Um, you, may, you don't need to you know, get three quotes online and then pick up the phone and follow it up. Um, we take care of that entire transaction in 60 seconds for you. So, um, you know, when we started out, we were very conscious that we wanted to be a multi-service offering, we wanted to offer cleaning, gardening, carpet cleaning, a range of services that our users needed um, to solve their household problems. And when we looked around in the city market, we saw there were a few players around that were just offering cleaning services on demand. And we thought for us this was a really good way to accelerate our growth. Um, when we raised capital recently, um, in fact, only a few months ago now, um, you know, we set ourselves the very ambitious goal of tripling within the year. And for us, um, you know, a way to really accelerate that was to acquire one of our competitors. And so, um, Home Hello, we purchased, um, went live about three weeks ago. It gave us an interest in instant entry into Brisbane. So we're now live in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Um, and yeah, it's, it's um, really seen us accelerate very fast and um, continue to, to do so over the next year. Um, Marty, yes. Caltex has made a big investment into well, uh, into your company, and and you're also in uh, doing a um, crowdfunding campaign right now. Mm -hmm. Where do you see those funds going in your expansion? And is it interesting that to Car Next Door that Caltex, a traditional uh, business model, is buying into a two-sided marketplace model? It is interesting, and um, maybe. <coughs> I'll um, just go back a bit and give a bit more information about Car Next Door to maybe put that in a bit more context. And um, seeing as Will, our founder, isn't here, I wanted to also um, put out the, his, um, his founder story about how we came about as well. Um, so, and we've got a new mission, so I wanted to get that out there as well. Our mission statement is um, to free uh, people and the planet from the one car, one person <coughs> mentality. And um, the way that we uh, came about, as Will tells it. He was walking through the suburbs of Bondi past um, all these cars that were sitting idle on his way to his go-get, which um, he was using frequently at the time. And um, one day um, it just struck him that, you know, why am I walking past all these cars that are doing nothing um, and not able to just use them? And um, it's interesting because um, we've found since then that actually cars sit idle 96% of the time. They're just sitting there um, not doing anything and um, it's just a wasted resource and I guess that's what struck Will in Bondi. But Bondi, it, it's interesting in itself because you, if you walk through any suburb of the inner city of Melbourne and Sydney, um, you'll have a similar experience. But in Bondi itself, you've got these really uh, skinny roads and there's so many cars, they just seem to pile up on top of each other. So it's interesting that it kind of, um, it struck him there. Um, so. Then he, he enrolled uh, Dave Trumbull and Chloe Illiff, who um, he uh, had worked with and gone to uni with, and, and that's how the platform started. Um, and uh, I guess uh, moving on to the, the Caltex um, thing, we had um, actually, Mike probably knows more about this than I do because Mike actually sits on our board and um, was on the board at the time, and um, I, I came to the company just after the Caltex deal was done. Um, but um, so if I say anything totally wrong, let me know. Um, <laughs> but I think before we uh, had the, did the Caltex deal, there was probably two main concerns within the company. Um, 
and one was probably, um, you know, how does how does Caltex uh, fit with with our mission um, in reducing carbon emissions, essentially, and and um, and that and that community um, uh, vibe as well that um, car next door sort of uh, really values. Um, so that was that was the first thing, um, and I, I think. Um, I can't speak for Caltex and their strategy, but I think it's pretty clear that they, uh, along with Car Next Door, don't see petrol as running um, the future either. So um, we are kind of aligned in the fact that we see the future as being something other than, um, you know, uh, powered by oil and large oil companies. So, and um, uh, Caltex actually has uh, new concepts, uh, a new concept store over in Concord where they've got. <coughs> It's more of a, a hub for the community where you can go there, drop off your clothes and um, get them dry cleaned and, and pick up some really good food while you're there um, and, um, and you know, get great coffee, that sort of thing. And, and we fit in with that um, by having a car, a car next door car on their forecourt where people can go and borrow the car and, and do their business and come back. So that fits in well. And um, uh, the second thing I think we're a bit concerned about was probably you know, this big multinational company um, buying into 25% of our business, um, how that might affect um, our decision making and how much power they wanted over um, what, what we actually did operationally. Um, and I think I'll tell a little story about uh, what happened around that time that might help to illustrate the fact that they have actually been pretty um, hands off with us. Um, around, this, around the same time that they were looking to invest in us, um, we were filming for Shark Tank, and um, and Caltex was looking to put in two and a half million into Car Next Door, and I think uh, Steve Baxter ended up putting in about three hundred thousand. And I think at the time Caltex was a bit like, you know, why why are you doing um, Shark Tank? Um, and uh, we're probably um, yeah for whatever reason they weren't too keen on it. But um, I think Will primarily thought saw it for an opportunity that it was in terms of the marketing, not so much the capital injection, but, but the marketing that comes from, from getting yourself out there on national TV. And it's actually been a really um, great source of, of leads for us. And, um, and you know, and Caltex was c totally cool with it in the end, and, and it's worked out really well. So, um, yes, uh, and then, and then the, the... And the expansion of the uh, crowdfunding yeah, that the they're crowdfunding. doing now. Yeah, so we are just in the middle of a our Series B uh, uh, fundraising, and um, half of that has now been closed off, and that um, involved our um, investors um, who, who we've already got um, with Car Next Door. But um, Will was really keen on getting the next stage of our Series B raised through crowdfunding. And um, so uh, we've, we've launched on Equitize, and on, uh, at the moment it's still um, only open to sophisticated investors. Um, unfortunately, I don't know, um, you guys probably know. Um, what that means, but essentially it's limited to um, uh, uh, high net worth individuals, basically. Um, but we'd really like to open that up to um, all of our users, essentially, like because um, it's a great way uh, to um, get people um, who use us to, to be more um, sort of vocal about um, our brand and, and putting it putting out um, our brand out there if they've got a bit bit of skin in the game, I guess. So mm -hmm. really excited about that potential. Um, and if any of you are high net worth individuals, uh, have a look at <laughs> the Um Mike, 
Uh, I've recently seen that you purchased Parkhound in Melbourne, and I thought that was interesting, interesting giving that you were the two-sided marketplace not holding a hard asset, and now you actually own a hard asset. What was the rationale behind that purchase, and um, where do you see that fitting into the larger plan? Yeah, sure. And it's a very similar track to um, what Nogga and, and Elki are doing um, at Urban U. And I guess we, we have a very similar view, which is it's a winner-takes-all um, in, in the marketplace um, businesses um, traditionally. So if you look at um, the big names that we all sort of know and love, the, you know, in, in, um, in real estate, you know, there are two players, domain and real estate, which is a bit unusual in this space. But everyone kind of has their house listed on both platforms. It's a bit in inefficient. And we didn't want to head down that path. Um, you've got car sales for cars, the, the, the clear leader, seek.com currently for, for employment and, and others like that, eBay as a marketplace, etc. So we sort of um, um, brought into that same philosophy that it's a winner-takes-all proposition. Um, and our business was sort of evolving organically from um, starting off in storage um, or self-storage um, to our customers actually using the spaces for parking as well, which kind of makes sense. It's a, it's a garage or a car space. It's, it's, it's got multiple use cases. Um, so we were really just um, um, going with the tide, if you like, and, and with what our customers uh, were demanding. Um, and a big part of the, the acquisition was that we got access to a lot more inventory. So we don't own that inventory as such. We have the listings, um, but we don't own the assets. Um, so um, that, that was the main rationale. Gotcha. OK. Um, Mike, I'd also, I'll stay with you. I'd like to ask you. Um, is the rise of the two-sided marketplace due to technological advances, the changing financial circumstances of millennials, given that they may not be able to own a car, may not be able to, they can buy the house, but they need to then have income, so then they're sharing that. Um, or is it also uh, for a less, to make a less materialistic world? Is that one of the drivers? How is that, how is the two-sided marketplace born? Sure, and I'll be keen to hear the other panelists view yes. as well, but I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's all three of those. Um, so um, I guess, you know, now we, we all have a very powerful computer in our pocket, our, our, our smartphone, our iPhone or, or Samsung phone, um, which gives us a lot of power and access to things when we need it. So, you know, businesses like um, Kinexor probably couldn't have existed before the smartphone because, you know, um, you're not going to go to your desktop to book a, a, a car when you need it, or it's, it's not as convenient, right? Um, Perhaps for storage, it's a little bit more of a considered purchase. Um, you, you may sort of sit down at night and, and, and do a bit of a search. So I think definitely technology is, has been the big enabler, and particularly the mobile. Um, secondly, as you said, around um, the shift in consumer behaviour. I think some of it is that um, millennials and, and others, because I, I think the sharing economy is now becoming mainstream. Um, um, I mean, how many of you have used Uber? And how many of you have used um, Airbnb? Okay, so pretty much everyone now is, is, is doing it, right? Um, and I think that wave of, of, of change in consumer behaviour has allowed businesses like ours um, to, to flourish. Um, and I see it very similar to um, e-commerce in the early days. So eBay was at the forefront of that and allowed businesses like you know, Deals Direct and others to come along and sort of um, um, leverage off that. Um, and the third was around, you know, is it environmentally friendly or less materialistic society? I think yes. Uh, I think we're seeing that, um, and, and the proof in the puddings and the eating, and, and these businesses are, are proving that. And I think it's still early days in that regard. Okay. Um, this is a, a for all the panelists. Um, there's a certain amount of touch points that, that people need before they have trust. 
So how do you create trust, Noga and Elke, on your platform for people to then go ahead and press book it? <clears throat> trust is fundamentally our core of our business. I mean, technology is something which you need to enable the experience and it's something which we definitely invest a lot in. We have some great features coming out soon. But when we set up Urban U, it was very much based on, look, we are a service business at heart and we're asking people to invite us into their homes and ask them to invite us in blindly. So to us, it was making sure we had the mechanisms in place, such as our verified, you know, verification processes, our reviews and ratings and our sort of IP we have in the system to identify you know things before anything happens and it's it's a case of you know looking back uh, like we were saying there about the consumer behavior especially with the millennial area there it's instant gratification that they're wanting so it's that little click book pay straight away and um, they're willing to actually embrace this you know way of being and what we're sort of finding as well is that you know I mean, how long ago was that we we're all too scared to put a credit card to buy a product online and yet now we'll go and stay someone's home overseas that we've never met before so the on-demand phenomenon is not so much uh, it's coming, it's here and it's expected now. And so we've just braced on that and now to us it's just building on that trust factor for which is what's really going to, you know, win home. Do you find that the users um, ask questions before they actually book it or do they just go through and... We've, we've, been, we've been very um, particular in actually creating the trust within our brand. Mm -hmm. So people are buying into urban use. They're buying into the fact that, look, we've done all the hard work for them. So it's, it's interesting. So they do develop relationships with a particular provider because we do you know, try and have the same provider for if you have an ongoing service. And that trust with your provider is built over time, right? But we've also found, like, especially like with cleaners, if you've got a relationship with your cleaner and something comes up, you're a little bit awkward having to approach the cleaner about something. So you like to come to someone else who's more of a mediator to actually do that for you. So with us, it was about building trust in the Urban U brand that we are there, we are the ones who you can trust in because mm -hmm. um, we've got the best in our network. Right. Marty, what, what, how do you create that trust on your platform? Yeah, there's a few ways that we do it. And, and um, just following on from what Elke said and Mike said earlier, um, mindset is probably one of the big things to overcome mm -hmm. um, in terms um, of the fact that in our society, at least um, for the last 100 or 200 years, um, individual ownership has been the norm and everybody has always owned everything that they've needed to use. And um, for us, um, I guess for car owners who are putting their cars on, um, there's this attitude of, uh, you know, um, I still speak to people who, or I say, talk about car next door and, and um, and they say, oh, that sounds like a great idea, but I'd never want anybody else driving my car. Um, so kind of uh, helping people to, to overcome that um, idea that, um, uh, I guess a car is just a hunk of metal at the end of the day, right? And that's what we're trying to kind of convince people of and that um, if something happens to it, um, it's just like anything else that can be replaced and, um, or repaired. Um, how, however, having said that, it is, um, it is something that takes time to um, people to get their head around that and so we do need to do things in our platform to um, assure people that um, nothing's going to happen to their car or if it does then we'll, we'll sort it out. Um, so and, and also the vast majority of our borrowers are really good um, but for those that, that aren't we've got onboarding processes, we've got a lot of checks in place, we look at people's credit history and um, ID checks and, and that sort of thing and, um, and we do reject a lot of borrowers who um, just are not going to be suitable for the platform so that, that um, helps to give um, car owners a bit, bit of trust. 
Um, if borrowers mis misbehave, um, then we're quick at, at um, not allowing them to rebook another car. Um, but the two-way reviews is obviously something that, that's crucial to all of, all of our platforms. Um, I think something, and also um, the option for car owners, as part of our two-way reviews, an option for a car owner is to block borrowers from borrowing their car again. And um, a lot of people don't use that option because actually, um, like, even though the um, borrowers left their car a bit dirty or whatever, and they think about blocking them, um, often they, they don't, but it's, it's really handy to have that option there available um, for them, and that, again, just builds that trust. Um, and uh, one other thing I was going to say, but I've just lost at the minute, so. Um, but basically, um, uh, yeah, the two-way reviews thing, um, and being able to block people, really important. Oh, that's right, I think something that's really cool that, that's gonna happen in that space is actually, um, there's going to be platforms that are going to be able to combine um, reviews from Urban U mm -hmm. and Spacer mm -hmm. into into um, one account, and so um, we can um, look at people that have used um, Urban U and Spacer, and and that's going to help build trust with with people that are using our brand. That you know they've got good good ratings on on these other platforms. I think that's something that I think Dimmy is trying to do with restaurants, so allowing mm. all restaurants to tap into like bad diner reviews, so restaurants mm. can block certain diners from attending. Yeah, you get right. people who maybe no-showed at the last minute and so on. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Mm. Which is interesting because I mean the, the rise of the reviews is definitely a, a benefit and a detriment to the, the new sort of online sort of businesses because mm. especially now everyone loves to have a say, you mm -hmm. know, and we, you know, we value our reviews, you know, and we, we pride ourselves in our reviews, but it is something which, you know, online businesses now definitely need to, you know, has as a priority in their, mm. definitely in their sort of brand positioning. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think when you look at um, the rise of on-demand workers in particular, mm. so within uh, like freelancer models or, um, you know, like in the, in the legal space, there's a lot of um, platforms now where, you know, lawyers can work on-demand mm -hmm. um, sort of contractor style. People now live and die by their review their ratings. Mm -hmm. So in the past, if you had a bad employment experience, you didn't get on with the manager, you just would never use them as a referee, and that was it. But now, if you get a bad review on one of these platforms, I mean, that's your career. Like, th these are really, really critical things, yeah. Mike, do you have anything to add on how to gain trust? Well, I was just thinking, you know, um, you know I, I take my Uber rating very seriously and I check it every time I'm about to get in and I'm, I'm 4.87, I'm very upset, I'm not five, right? So I always wonder, what have I done wrong? You know, I'd like to get some feedback. My husband competes with me. He's like, well, I use it more. How do you have a better one? But imagine if in everyday life, in everyday interactions, we were actually rated by each other, right? Imagine, you know, would we behave differently in a better way, right? If we knew we were sort of being watched and, and observed and... Um, so anyway, that's just something to ponder. But I actually believe that that could make for a better society. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's feedback, right? It's, it's, it's like a 360 feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is interesting, uh, an interesting question. You could all actually be competitors, given you have the platform. You could change, bring that across any service or product. How do you not, um, like in the sharing hub, how do you all share, in a sense, rather than become competitors? I think the trend has been um, to move away from these mega platforms. So in the early days, there were platforms like um, eBay, um, which is kind of everything to everyone. Um, 
Gumtree, Craigslist, um, and the the trend, at least today, is is to be really focused and become a destination for one particular vertical, um, or for you know a very close clustering of, of verticals. And the same is in sort of e-commerce. Like, you know, ten years ago, Deals Direct that was the right platform, that was the right direction to be in 27 categories. Now the really successful e-commerce players, you know, the iconic. Um, Temple and Web, so they focus really you know, in one niche, and I think you can do it better. Um, so I think that is the focus right now, um, but you never know down the track, perhaps some of these platforms may amalgamate, um, or perhaps there'll be an aggregator. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how, how it goes. Mm. Um, not to keep on, on your case there, Mike, but um, with the Sharing Hub, you had mentioned that you do some lobbying. Uh, what do you do on behalf of the Sharing Hub um, as far sure. as lobbying? and what, what policy risks are there? Sure. Um, so we have really strong relationships with the government. Um, Minister Matt Keane came and opened the sharing hub for us. He cut the ribbon. It was really exciting. Um, and, um, you know, so he, he's, he's a minister for innovation and, and um, better regulation uh, for New South Wales. Um, so we have open engagement with, with you know, the minister and, and their departments. Um, and essentially, you know, we just want to have a voice at the table and, and work with them on, you know, um, you know, where the regulation is today and, and where it could perhaps be in the future, taking into account that the world is changing very quickly. And some of these laws have been written um, without, you know, the internet in mind, um, without sharing economy platforms in mind. Um, and they're very open to that. Um, and we certainly want to work with them as well uh, to understand our um, obligations and, um, you know, things like, um, you know, Trade Practices Act, um, consumer laws, all that stuff, of course it applies to us just as it would for any other business. Um, so that's, that's, that's the kind of thing we're doing today. Um, you know, certain businesses um, um, maybe have a higher priority on that. You can see Airbnb, uh, they're, they're all over the media t at the moment. They're putting out ads, campaigning for some of the changes that are happening in their space right now. Um, obviously Uber have done a lot of that, I think Deliveroo as well. Um, so, you know, we'll all have our turn, I suppose, um, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, the key principle is that we want to work with the regulators um, and what's best for the customer is ultimately what's best for our businesses, so I want to work with them. Um, where, do you, where do all of you see the two-sided marketplace headed? Yeah, um, interesting question. I mean, I don't think this trend is going anywhere fast. I think, if anything, um, more and more business models are moving towards um, open platforms and marketplaces. So, um, you know, we call it the, the Uberization of the economy, you know, and I think when Uber started, um, it really kicked off a trend of consumers wanting things instantly. And, that, and as Elke mentioned earlier, that instant gratification, that expectation of pushing a button on your phone and having anything delivered on your doorstep. And I mean, we see with Urban U, um, the expected wait time for a cleaner to, to arrive has like gone down <laughs> year on year. So at the beginning, I think the average booking length was, um, you know, four days between booking and a cleaner turning up. Now we can deliver a cleaner at your house within four hours. Um, and people actually literally sometimes expect to push the button, open the door, and there should be a cleaner there. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. and But that is what technology is enabling. It's the delivery of that kind of convenience. Um, and when you look at, you know, you asked earlier about you know our acquisition of Home Hello and um, the consolidation of the industry, and, and Mike sort of touched on this as well. This is what this delivers because we have a much de deeper pool of providers. We can deliver a much faster, more reliable service to our users um, by having that deeper um, access to 
um, more and more um, providers. And so, yeah, I think this is um, an exciting time for the on-demand economy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking about um, Mike touched on earlier with um, the technology aspect of things, and um, we. So I've got a friend who's put their car on car next door about 12 months ago, and um, from that experience, she experienced both sort of the what life is like without the car next door platform and what it's like with the car next door platform. Because when she put her car on the platform, all her friends um, were like, "Oh, can I borrow your car?" For some reason, like that happened more after she put the car on the platform, but they sort of wanted to do it um, without using the platform. Mm -hmm. And um, so what, um, uh, what's frustrating with that is that so she kind of had to do things um, in, in pre-technology uh, terms. So she was handing over the key um, physically to her friends and there was no real good payment system, which is the most frustrating thing. Like if you're a um, car owner, somebody borrows your car, they, they really only see what the cost is like right in front of them, which is you know fuel, and they might give you uh, money for fuel or whatever, but there's so many other costs in, involved in running a car. Um, that she doesn't have access to the, the GPS um, calculations when um, her car's being used by a friend, so um, there's no real good system there in place um, with that. And, um, and, and then, you know, at the same time, she's um, also getting people borrowing a car um, on car next door, and it all works really seamlessly, right? So she's got, um, she doesn't have to worry about the calendar because people are booking the car and, and it's already blocked out in the calendar. The calculations are all sorted, and I guess also with the first scenario, um, that's how things work if there's no, uh, nothing goes wrong. But what happens if there's an accident or there's damage or the car breaks down? Those things aren't really considered when you're just like one on one. Um, but we've thought about all those things, and like that's what we're doing, I guess, in the share economy. We're setting up platforms where these things work seamlessly. And so, um, I guess back to your question about where things are going, like I think everything's going that way because um, it just makes sense. It's a lot easier. Um, does anyone want to ask any questions? Matt? Yes, it's interesting. You've all mentioned that these marketplace businesses, it's a winner-takes-all game in some, in some respects, and each of your businesses has there's a couple of key players like Verb and you. I feel like it's a formalised version of Airtask uh, in some respects. It sounds mm. like it. Uh, obviously, the current store is a go get. Um, how do you, like, what's the mentality that you have trying to run this business, build it, knowing that it's based on what you're saying? It's either going to be, be successful or <laughs> going to go out, like, not going to exist. So, how do you reconcile that? What's your strategy? Mm. And how does that, how does that play into the psyche? Um, mm. How do you grow that business with knowing that there's only one out there? Yeah. Hmm. Um, Good question. Do you, yeah. Do you, want, do you want to take it? Yeah. You can start. You can start. Yeah. So I guess just to answer your question about Airtasker, hmm. um, Airtasker is a great platform to find a non-professional, you know, guy up the road with a lawnmower who has some spare time on their hands and wants to come and mow your lawn. Um, very different to Urban U, which is a professional, two years minimum experience, you know, much more targeted, professional, busy people who just need to know it's going to happen seamlessly and on time. So there's there's a difference there. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It is um, a psychological game in a way when it's winner takes all. Um, <clears throat> but I think it, that's the way with any business. I mean, you have to believe in your business and you have to, if you don't have the belief that you are going to succeed, um, then you know you might as well pack up your bag and go home because, um, you know, and so, so our aim is to be the number one um, marketplace for on-demand household services in Australia and I think we've already got the biggest um, user yep. base and supply base so we're well on our way, yeah.
Mm. I think it's also taken the approach from the beginning as well as it's not just like we talk about our roll-up strategy which is how we sort of enter new markets but it's also we really much pride ourselves on going deep with the consumer base that we actually have as well so our loyalty and retention of our consumers and also our side the pro side is what sort of sets us apart so we can very much be very confident in ourselves in regards to saying we can lead this you know this business and we're, it's, it's exciting to know that you're actually pioneering a change in an area that was just right for disruption you know so that's what passions us to continue forward. And it's interesting because when we do get asked about competitors I think you know we mm. actually see our biggest competitor as the black market and mm. it'd be interesting to know what you guys see here but you know I think in Australia on demand is still is still pretty new really um, and so our challenge is converting the users that are used to paying cash um, and you know demonstrating the benefits of using an online platform um, there's still a massive opportunity, so, um, you know, yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it's a really interesting question because it's something that we're thinking about a lot at Carnextor at the moment. Um, you mentioned GoGet, and um, I guess, you know, our mission, overall mission, is to um, reduce carbon emissions, and to do that, we're weighing up whether um, it's a good idea to, to go ahead and, like, if we're struggling to get peer-to-peer -peer cars, do we go out and, and get new cars and put them on the platform and compete directly with GoGet in their, with their same model? Um, I think there's definitely room for a niche in terms of, oh, well, it's not, you know, I guess um, just focusing on peer-to-peer, -peer, I think there's room for that. GoGet has um, their model, we have our peer-to-peer -peer model, and there's big advantages in that because then you've got this really clear brand identity, we're more community-focused, um, a lot of people really resonate with that, um, but yeah, there is an argument for do we do we also take on that mark? I think I think either way, whether we, whichever um, way we go, we want to be um, the biggest peer-to-peer -peer car share um, company in Australia. Um, but um, it is it's an interesting um, sort of um, uh, challenge at the moment as to where which way we decide to go with that. Um, and I guess yeah, speaking from a spacer perspective. Um, I guess ultimately what we believe is that it's about providing the best user experience. So for us what that means is you know, when you go onto our site we've got to make it as easy as possible. You just type in what you're looking for um, and we make it really simple so, and you find it straight away. So whether that means it's a peer-to-peer -peer offering or it's an offering from a business, um, but it's got to be, you know, you've got to have options available to you, um, location, price, you know, different product options. Um, we're not quite there yet, but um, we're, we're well on our way and that's what we believe will set us apart. Um, so it's kind of here as the stock wins is what, we've, what, we, what we believe. So inventory is going to be key and then the user experience um, wrap, wrapped around that. But it's a long game, it's, it certainly is, and it is sort of a war of attrition. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're thinking 10 years and more. I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure how others are thinking, but I think that's, that's, that's the way you've got to think about it. One of the big debates in the sharing economy at the moment is around workers' entitlements and rights, given the casual workforce. Um, you don't all have workers in your businesses in the traditional sense, but I'm interested in your views on where the right balance sits between, you know, Uber's the classic example because it's the most high profile, but between the rights of the workers to a fair cut and to steady work and all sorts of things versus this whole disruptive platform and how things are changing? 
they're all looking at me because they're all aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's definitely one of the key issues in the gig economy, right? Is how do you make that balance right? Um, and certainly in most of these platforms, the providers of the services are um, contractors. So they're independent businesses that, in our case, they're independent businesses, they have their own insurance, um, they provide services on platform, off platform, and you know these platforms provide them a way to access work that they would not otherwise um, be have the ability to, to do. So for example, with Urban U, um, what we find is people run their own businesses, they might have um, a dip in the day and they can just log on and see what jobs are available and they know exactly what they're going to get paid for that job. And if they've got a better paying job, they can take the better paying job, but if, if that one suits them, they take it. And, and actually what we find is um, it's actually very economical for them because they're not paying for marketing, they're not paying for leads that may or may not eventuate into work, and they're getting paid instantly. So one of the key issues for, particularly you know in the trades, is they're chasing invoices, they never get paid, they're looking under the pot plant for the money that wasn't left. Um, and so it's a, it's a guaranteed um, payment. Um, so I think you need to look at that whole package when you say what's what's fair and what isn't and you know these are essentially people running their own businesses having said that you know we're very aware of that fine line um, between becoming an employee versus a contractor and um, you know it's I, I think you know this industry does need some regulation around it because everybody would be better off if the guidelines were clear um, so we're all trying to figure it out for ourselves. Can we provide insurance for the workers? Which would be a fantastic benefit for them. Yet the lawyers tell us, if you do that, you're much more likely to be an employer. So um, you know, I look forward to the day where it is um, there's simply regulation in the area. Yeah. I, I did go to a talk with um, Uber, and they for certain drivers that drive for a certain amount of hours per week, so the high drivers, um, they're trying to create a program where they'll retrain them because once the driverless car comes into play, mm -hmm. they'll be out of a job. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to then um, retrain them for their future. So I think once, you know, it's said, but Uber, the Uberization, the Uber will be the yeah. forefront of mm -hmm. everything of change. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, <coughs> one more question, actually, this has already been touched on briefly. Um, Traditional businesses offer products or a service that they own uh, to match demand that's out there. Um, obviously, demand is a peer-to-peer and, and two-sided um, platforms is increasing. Uh, as businesses, however, that don't necessarily own and control the supply of that product or, or service, um, how do you wrap your head around sort of being able to match um, that supply with the demand? Mm -hmm. Ah, the tripod. <laughs> it, look, balancing supply and demand is definitely, it's one of the most challenging things a, you know, a marketplace can sort of face. Um, I think you just have to be very clear, first of all, in regards to your first part of the question is that how do you maintain a product you know, quality? So we're very clear in regards to what our service offerings are. Both sides of the marketplace are very clear of what they're buying into or what they're actually delivering. So there's total transparency. I think that's the key you know, for a marketplace. With us also is that we, it's not, it's not about number grab so for us it's not about having the biggest network of just numbers in our you know user base or um, providers we have quality providers but only enough to make sure that they're totally engaged in the business because the idea is we want them you know highly engaged so they become advocates out in the marketplace themselves and also they become sticky to the market you know to us only and we find especially with the provider side is they may try a couple of platforms but they will stick with one 
So for us, it's balancing that onboarding of the providers to match the demand in the area we're going to. And the on this flip side for the user, we go to a really hyper-localization you know, tack. So instead of just going, great, we're going to be national tomorrow, we've gone from city, you know, down from city to town and actually really gone deep into those community networks and actually sort of owned an area and before we've then expanded into, you know, pretty much turning the turnkey to another you know, market and sort of just grown, but grown slowly um, to a point and then, but only those markets. So. Um, well, from a car next door perspective, I think it's an ongoing battle for us. Um, initially, mm. um, we had a lot more trouble finding demand than we did, su uh, sorry, supply than we did demand. We had a lot of borrowers and there wasn't enough cars out there for us. Um, but interestingly, only a few months ago, that sort of all flipped on us and we're a little bit um, caught um, unawares because for four years or whatever, we, it had been the opposite problem. And uh, we got all this great um, uh, press from Shark Tank and a few other key sort of media releases that focused on how good it was to be an owner. And it flipped on us. Um, and I guess we just um, were looking at our ratios and all of a sudden the, you know, the owners aren't getting enough bookings that like uh, Elkie was saying that, you know, then um, they're thinking, you know, is this worth it for me? And, and so um, now we're back trying to, to, to kind of flip it again, and it, and which is hard because it takes a few months to get the right um, the right messages across in the news and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, ongoing challenge. And similar from Space's perspective, and I think it's very similar in the asset space versus the um, the gig space, if you like. Whereas on the gig space, there's probably more workers than. You know, that, that's probably the easier side, perhaps. No, um, actually no. not. Okay. Well, only because we're very tough on quality. So yeah. we've accepted less than 10% yeah. of applicants in the okay. network. And well, yeah. So. But on the asset side, assets are finite. So, and, and it's an awareness piece as well right now. So you know, there are plenty of empty garages and car spaces out there, but we just have to find those people that have them and, and let them know they can monetize it. Kind of a no-brainer if you've got one. Mm. But how do you find those people? How do you profile them? Mm. Right? Mm. Um, so that's the challenge for us. Um, and the other piece that we really believe in is that, and we saw this with other marketplaces, product marketplaces, they started off peer-to-peer. -peer. So you look at eBay, it was for, for second-hand and collectibles. It's become a, a business-to-consumer proposition. Um, and so I think we're going to see the same with a lot, not, not, not all these marketplaces, but um, it's going to shift from just being peer-to-peer -to, -peer, um, to this you know, technology-enabled marketplace um, or ecosystem, if you like, that can be used across you know different sectors of of um, the industry. So it could be business to consumer and ultimately business to business as well. Um, so that, that's really interesting. I think that's the trend that we're going to um, see take off in the next few years. Well, I'd like to um, thank our panelists. Um, I think we had a really good talk, and we've learned a lot about all your businesses. Um, and uh, next month will be our our final Florence Guild for the year. And we'll be joined by um, Singularity U's Australian ambassador, uh, Kyla Colbin. Um, she'll be start. She'll talk about a um, the dramatic implications of exponential technologies, and some insight into how we might better prepare ourselves um, to adapt and thrive in a dynamically changing world. And this uh, event will be the sixth of December at twelve thirty. Um, and for our members, don't forget our uh, holiday celebration will be on the thirteenth starting at 4 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, 
visit florenceguild.com.